and turn your Bibles to Daniel. We're actually going to start right at the end of chapter 5. I, I believe I mentioned briefly last week that, uh, that I disagree with most of the, uh, the modern translations and where they break between chapters 5 and 6. I think the last verse of chapter 5 belongs to chapter 6. This is actually how the original Hebrew reads, uh, that text that the translation is from. Uh, actually numbers the last verse in Daniel 5 as Daniel 6.1. And so uh, there's lots of reasons to believe it belongs there. That's where we're going to start our reading this evening. A couple of things very quickly before we start. I want to remind you of the historical setting. Uh, the people of God, specifically Judah, the southern kingdom, have been taken off into captivity, into bondage, into exile by, by the Babylonians. And about 70 years later, the Babylonian Empire was defeated by Cyrus the Persian, and it becomes the Persian Empire. Daniel lives through that transition. We read about that last week in Belshazzar and the handwriting on the wall. This evening, uh, we're going to pick up with King Darius, uh, who is a Mede and belongs to that Persian Empire. So there's been this transition in empires. It's also the last chapter in Daniel that is uh, what we would recognize as pretty straightforward narrative. Uh, Daniel, the first half of the book, is primarily narrative stories. Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, a handwriting on the wall. Uh, after this evening, the book becomes much stranger. Uh, the, the remaining chapters in the book, 7 through 12, are uh, what we call apocalyptic literature, dreams and visions that Daniel is having uh, that look far ahead into the future. The abrupt change in the book, though, is explained by the theme in the book. And that theme in both the beginning, the, the first half and the latter half of the book, that theme is God's absolute and utter sovereignty over kings and kingdoms. And so we've seen some narratives unfolding where God demonstrates that sovereignty. And then this sovereign God speaks to Daniel and tells him what's coming in the last days. And we know that that's the truth because he is sovereign and therefore knows, and he is sovereign and therefore will bring it to pass. So it's on the foundation of the sovereignty of God demonstrated in these first six chapters that God is then going to begin telling Daniel what the last days look like. So with that in mind, we're going to read the text this evening starting in uh, Daniel 5, beginning in verse 31, and then through chapter 6. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for the truth that we find here, and we thank you that your spirit, uh, by your promise, your spirit is at work in the reading and preaching of your word to transform our hearts, and we pray you would do so tonight in Christ's name, amen. Hear the reading of God's word. Now, Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful 
and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den... The lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his kingdom shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. 
He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, This evening, uh, in the minutes that we have left, two things I want to focus on. First, God is sovereign over judgment and salvation. God is sovereign over judgment and salvation. We saw a couple of weeks ago with the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the fiery furnace, we saw that Nebuchadnezzar was determined to kill these three men and yet was unable to do so because God preserved them. We see this evening a king who is desperate to save Daniel, but is unable to do anything in his power to save Daniel. It doesn't matter whether the world wants to destroy or to preserve and bless, they are able to do nothing apart from the sovereign work of God. It is God who permits the death of His saints. It is God who grants salvation to those who are His. God is sovereign over judgment and salvation. What do we fear in our lives that keeps us from obedience to God? What do we hope? Uh, What do we uh, hope in for our salvation? It's interesting, Daniel here this evening uh, in the text, Daniel knows God. It's interesting that he prays toward Jerusalem. Uh, It's not an accident. It's not some mere uh, uh, tradition that Daniel is enacting, but Daniel knows the Bible. He knows his Old Testament, uh, what was his Bible. He knows that Solomon, when he dedicated the temple, prayed to God that when the people come under his discipline and are removed from the promised land and taken into captivity and they turn toward Jerusalem and they pray, Solomon says, hear them, bless them, bring them back. Daniel's living this out. Daniel knows who his God is and he is trusting in this God. Daniel does not exhibit any fear in the text this evening. We're going to talk about it some more in a moment, but you notice Daniel plays actually quite a minor role in the narrative. A third person is telling us about this, and there are few words in Daniel's mouth, none, as a matter of fact, until he is being lifted up out of the lion's den. He doesn't say anything to defend himself. There's no evidence of fear. Every indication is that Daniel passed a much more comfortable evening than Darius did, who was in his palace worried sick about what might happen to Daniel in the lion's den. But Daniel, wordless, goes into the den and even has the presence of mind the next morning to answer with full court decorum as Darius calls out, Daniel, Daniel, look at the text, Darius is panicked. It says that he cried out in a tone of anguish, Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you? And out of the the den comes the voice of Daniel, O king, live forever. Daniel's perfectly fine. Uh, There's there's no fear. You might think, well, it's over now. Of course there's no fear. No, he's still down there with the lions. I'm, I'm inclined to think that even if we had somehow survived the night in the lion's den, by the time they arrived the next morning, we're like, yes, get me out of here. 
I've almost made it. Get me out of this den. But Daniel is fine. Daniel gives the impression with his answer that he's happy to hang out in the lion's den as long as they need him to. No fear on Daniel's part. Why? Why no fear? Because Daniel knows that his God is sovereign. This is coming very late in Daniel's life. Not only everything that we've read in the previous chapters, but frankly, everything we're going to read in the remaining chapters has happened by the time we get to this instance. Daniel knows who is sovereign. He has watched God demonstrate his sovereignty over kings and kingdoms for a lifetime now. Daniel, who was most likely a teenager at the beginning of this narrative, at the beginning of the the book of Daniel, as he's taken captivity from Judah, and who survives the 70 years of captivity into Cyrus's reign, survives long enough to hear Cyrus's decree to send the people of Judah back to rebuild. A lifetime of paying attention to who God is, And what God does, he knows that God is sovereign over kings and kingdoms. And so when here, late in life, Daniel is called from his home, bound, accused of praying to his God, and placed in the lion's den, there's no panic, no concern. Daniel doesn't necessarily know that he'll survive it, but he knows that the God that he serves will preserve him through it or deliver him into glory. And we see that same example from his three friends who say to Nebuchadnezzar, our God can save us, but if not, they still won't do what is required of them. Knowing his God, knowing that his God is sovereign over all things, enables Daniel to be fearless. What do we fear that keeps us from obedience to God? Notice that in Daniel's confidence in God, he does what he is supposed to do. He ignores the injunction that says, you shall not worship your God. And he goes, as is his habit, as he always has done, and he continues to do, he goes into his home and he prays to God three times a day. He does what he is supposed to do because he does not fear the command of the king, or those who are trying to destroy him. What is it that we fear in the world that keeps us from obedience to God? There's all kinds of things out there that we would use as an excuse, all kinds of things that we are tempted to do in life that we should not do, and it's the fear of the world that drives us to do it. But brothers and sisters, there's nothing that the world can do to you that is outside of God's sovereign control, outside of His authority. Daniel could have put his hope in the king. We could have had a a narrative here of Daniel pleading with the king to do something. And the king wants to do something. Uh, Every indication is here that he probably argued with those who talked him into the injunction, trying to debate with them Uh, in order to get Daniel relieved of this threat. We're not told exactly what he does, but he tries all the way up till evening. And evening is when the judgment has to be carried out, the sentence. 
He just does everything he can and is incapable of delivering Daniel. In the same way that we are motivated to disobey God by fear of the world, we are also motivated to disobey God in order to get from the world what we think we need. We put our hope and our trust in anything else. We put our hope and our trust in the government. We put our hope and our trust in family. We put our hope and our trust in friends. We put our hope and our trust in the church that we attend. And all of these are means by which God blesses us. All of these are means by which God can and often does provide for us. But if we make the mistake of stopping with that government, that church, that family member, that friend, and forgetting that all they are is an instrument by which God is blessing us and saving us, preserving us in this world and preserving us for the next world. If we forget that it's God who does it, then we're going to be inclined to give in to the temptation to do whatever needs to be done in order to get the blessing that they hold out and the, the salvation that they hold out. What is it that we put our hope in for salvation in this world other than God? As silly as my example was with the children, the reality is that from an eternal perspective, all these things that we fear and put our hope in inappropriately are going to appear to us to be absurd on the day that Christ returns, and we know even as we are fully known Second, this evening, and I, I struggled with how best to frame this. I finally settled on Christ is our Daniel, but something doesn't seem right about that either. Uh, what I want to get at here is how we see Christ in Daniel, and not just in Daniel's righteousness as it's portrayed in the text, but so many details this evening. I wonder if, as I read, you, you noticed one or two of these details. And I have to give Ian Duguid credit for this, one of the commentaries that I use. He's the one that pointed this out and, and kind of sent me on uh, a scavenger hunt through the text to find other examples of it. But Daniel, like Christ, is falsely accused. And falsely accused because there can be no legitimate accusation. Like Christ, he's silent before his accusers. In the text, there's no reference to Daniel defending himself, no reference to Daniel making counter-arguments, no reference to Daniel appealing to any other authority in order to find deliverance from this threat, but he is silent before his accusers. He's brought before a ruler, even as Jesus was brought before Pilate and before Herod, the ruler tries to save him, though I get the sense that Darius is, is more sincerely determined to save Daniel than Pilate was to save Christ. But Pilate looks for a way out, doesn't he? He tries to deliver him and cannot. Daniel and Christ both are handed over to a violent death, condemned to die, placed into a cave sealed with a stone for the purpose of making sure that no human could intervene. It's true in both of these narratives. Ministered to by angels and delivered in the end, and that deliverance in both cases was a pronunciation of innocence, perfection, righteousness on the one 
who was delivered, so that even as Christ is raised up from the dead and comes up out of his tomb, so Daniel is raised up out of the lion's den. And Christ, having been raised up, is not raised up merely to the earth, but eventually ascends into heaven and takes a seat on the right hand of the Father. Daniel here also not only elevated and restored back to his original place, but granted much more authority in the kingdom. All of this is meant to point us towards Christ, to show us that it is Christ who does this for us. These things are true for us this evening because they are first true for Jesus Christ, and we belong to Him. We will be preserved and declared righteous while God's enemies will suffer the judgment. And that's the the intention here of giving us this, uh, this, frankly, shocking detail that the schemers, the enemies of Daniel, were themselves thrown to the lions together with their children and their wives. That, that kind of language anticipates the final judgment. And in that final judgment, there will be one who is saved, Jesus Christ, and all others will suffer the condemnation and wrath of God, and we will be delivered because we are in Christ. It's only those who take refuge in Jesus Christ that are delivered from the the judgment of God and the wrath of God. And that's on display here as well, the whole thing resulting finally in the praise of the God who created all things. Darius here doesn't quite come all the way to the the point of confessing the, uh, the absolute authority of this God that he has encountered, but his language is nonetheless true. He is the living God, he says, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on the earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Brothers and sisters, this is our God. And because this is our God, and because he is a father to us, and because he has promised to preserve us and deliver us, There is nothing in this world that we ought to fear, but rather we ought to obey God and do His will. Looking forward to the day when, together with Christ, we will be raised up out of our graves and ascend to the Father. Let's pray.